Welcome to another episode of Good Value by Antipodes. Welcome to our final episode for 2023. It's Alison Savas, Investment Director at Antipodes. Global equities have had a strong year, with the MSCI ACWI up over 15% in US dollar terms as we record, which may seem at odds with the tightest monetary backdrop in over 20 years and fears over when the recession in the West would hit. But as we all know, headline returns mask that seven of the largest stocks in the world, dubbed the Magnificent Seven, have accounted for a very large proportion of the gains. As we look toward 2024, the questions being asked by market participants are whether the Fed can achieve the perfect landing, when the central banks will start cutting rates, and will such narrow performance in the market persist? In the final episode, I'm joined by all Antipodes sector portfolio managers. So for the next 30 minutes or so, they will share their thoughts on their specific areas of expertise as we head into a new year. I'm going to ask each portfolio manager for one stock or area of their coverage that they believe will perform in the year ahead, and one stock or part of the market that they believe investors should avoid. So let's get into it. First up, we have Graham Hay, Antipodes Portfolio Manager of Hardware, Industrials and Commodities. So, Graham, as you know, the first question I'm asking each Antipodes Portfolio Manager is what is one stock or area of your coverage that you believe will perform well in the year ahead? Hi, Alison. Well, look, just, you know, just reflecting on the, the year that's been 2023 and looking at some of the innovations that are coming through, particularly around artificial intelligence and the infrastructure that is required to support um, these uh, the, these new technology platforms. You know, there's one there's one company in our portfolio that really stands out as um, you know a key enabler of that, and and it's it's a stock that hasn't necessarily participated in the excitement. Um, and, and that that company is TSMC. It's the world's largest uh, uh, foundry. Uh, they provide leading edge uh, wafer uh, services to everyone from Apple, NVIDIA, Qualcomm, um, and, and others. And they've been doing that since 1987 when they started the business. Um, they have a very dominant share of leading edge capacity, and this is the type of capacity that's required for, you know, the iPhone 15, for the generative AI applications that everyone is talking about. <clears throat> uh, so these guys are critical uh, in standing up all of the AI workloads that have been uh, currently developed. Um, and the, the shares trade today at a, a record discount um, to the broad broad semiconductor peer group. Um, and so we think, you know, as we look into 2024 and beyond, frankly, um, this is a company that should, you know, participate enormously in that cycle of innovation, just like they did in the smartphone cycle from 2010 onwards. They've made all the requisite investments, uh, and I think they're now leveraged or they're positioned to, to harvest that investment uh, for growth and profitability. It's pretty interesting, isn't it, that you've got a critical enabler of such an interesting long-term trend available at a record discount. Now, can you share a stock or part of the market that you believe investors should avoid? Sure. Well, I, I think <laughs> probably on the same vein, uh, there, there's there's um, probably words of caution around AI as well. Uh, you know, a, a lot of excitement around the uh, what's being enabled by uh, these new platforms. Um, I, I'd just be careful that I suppose there's an element of one-time investment that's going on today. Uh, and there is literally an arms race between all the large cloud companies to get 
capacity uh, ready uh, for for customers. Um, when you go and speak to corporates, um, uh, there's a lot of uh, watching and understanding, but not a lot of investment going on. So, you know, I think you, you just need to be a little bit cautious around the the extent of one-time upfront investment or pull-forward investment that may normalize to lower levels, you know, uh, later in 24 or into 25. Um, so, so companies that are priced that are priced for that to be sustainable run rate business, I'd be a little bit cautious on um, uh, because I think we could get a, a reset to a, a lower level of investment as the year progresses in 2024. And Graham, before you go, and I introduce our next team member, a little end of year fun. If you could ask one person, dead or alive, to Christmas lunch, who would it be? Uh, okay, well, that's an interesting one. Well, I, I, look, I'd say, I, 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 and I say this because I've recently been reading his books and, and his work. Uh, it's probably not someone that many people would know. It's it's an author. His name is uh, uh, John uh, D. MacDonald. Um, he was a very prolific author during the sort of 60s and 70s, I guess, for his, for his heyday. And he's probably best known for a series um, of books he wrote around a character called Travis McGee, who was a, um, a former army guy turned sort of private detective. Um, and he weaves uh, the stories of this individual through the sort of... Uh, the 60s and 70s uh, era of, of Florida. And he, he just brings to life so many different human elements, but he weaves into it a lot of, you know, interesting business and government related sort of matters that were happening at the time. And the, and the books are tremendously enjoyable to read. Uh, and um, I'd, I'd love to have a Christmas lunch with uh, that particular author, just to understand how he, how he sort of, how he put it all together and, you know, pick his brain on um, a range of topics uh, um, that he covered in, in his books. I love that. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing who we accumulate at our Christmas lunch table as this podcast progresses. Thanks, Graeme. Thanks, Alison. My next guest is Nick Cameron, Portfolio Manager who covers healthcare. It's been a while since we've had you on the podcast, Nick, so really nice to speak to you again. First question, one stock or area of your coverage that you believe will perform in the year ahead? Well, I think there's there's two answers I can give to that because firstly, we think the medical device companies are set to have a pretty good 2024, but in particular, we think those names that are in the small to mid cap part of the market, um, particularly some of those that have suffered you know, from the GLP-1 and the obesity drug hype, we think are set to have a pretty good year of our performance and the reason for that is um, multiple fold one we think the GLP-1 debate whilst not going away uh, results from these companies should continue to be pretty resilient uh, as you know a lot of them have good structural secular growth drivers including the aging demographic which isn't going away and so Putting that together, we think some of those names are quite interesting. And also in light of the recent Fed moves to, I guess, soften their position on how long rates will remain higher for longer, it's seeming like, you know, that we are getting closer to the out of the woods scenario, which is, we think, going to reignite M&A in the sector and particularly those larger medical device companies 
are the ones where M&A is part of the business model and they need to continue to acquire these newer, brighter young companies to continue to deliver organic growth. And so the second part of the answer is the stock that one of the stocks that we like is Alcon. It's had some recent setbacks around growth in the last quarter was a little bit tough after some pretty, you know, let's call it a, a string of results that have been very strong in its cataract surgery and intraocular lens business. Uh, and we think also some of the recent market commentary that, you know, suggests that growth may continue to be slower for a little while longer, we think is probably overdone at this at this point. And we think with margins recovering after years of high cost inflation, which should see COGS reduce and that higher cost inventory get worked through the system over the next quarter or two, we see a really strong margin inflection story happening through 2024 for Alcon. And also we see, you know, bolt-on acquisitions, particularly in that, in the, in the eye space, whether it's in the drug side or on uh, the device side or equipment side, uh, we think that sets them up for a pretty strong growth outlook for the rest of the decade. And what's your stock or part of the market that you believe investors should avoid? We think investors should avoid the US managed care companies. We think they're a significant risk of underperforming in 2024. They've had a very strong period of performance over the last six months. And uh, these are the big health insurers in the US, names such as United Health, Cigna, Humana, CVS, and Elevance. These businesses, particularly for, for most of them, a lot of the growth in the US health insurance market over the last five to 10 years has really been driven by increasing adoption of what is called Medicare Advantage plans. These are plans that US seniors who become eligible for Medicare in the US, that's over age 65 and over, uh, these Medicare Advantage plans have been, are being administered by these commercial companies on behalf of the US government. And a lot of share has been taken away from the traditional Medicare or government-run insurance into these managed care company run or Medicare Advantage plans. Now, you know, one of our concerns has been for many years is that these companies have been effectively gouging or profiteering from these government or what is essentially government funded plans. And the US government has become far more aware of some of these issues. And we think this increasing scrutiny you know, is going to see action being taken. And we have seen some legislation pass the House recently in the US. And we think there is just going to be continued scrutiny on these commercial insurers delivering Medicare Advantage plans. So we think that the growth in those businesses, whether it's from the top line or in terms of profitability, is going to become more clouded going forward than it has been for the last five years. And it's also important to remember that many of these companies have large pharmaceutical benefit businesses where they manage drug insurance plans for the US employers, for individuals. And these businesses have also come under a lot of regulatory scrutiny recently. And we think the risk of legislative or regulatory change to increase pricing transparency, profitability transparency, 
in these PBMs uh, is going to increase um, in medium term and again crimp growth in in that part of the business. So we see limited upside really in a lot of these names going forward and being a highly consolidated market. There's very little opportunity for M&A, at least at the larger end of town, and options they do have are quite incremental and small compared to the very large revenue base and mm. earnings base that these businesses are operating from now. Mm. Okay, last question. One guest, dead or alive, for Christmas lunch? Ooh, it was tough. It's a tough one to, to go with, but I think I have to go with Tiger Woods. And... The reason being is, one, I'm a golf fan, but number two is just, I don't think I've ever seen a sportsman quite like Tiger and how well he was able to perform under pressure. Now, someone else who might be on this on this uh, podcast, I think, probably has the other one who I think is very much like that, but Tiger was just so consistent under pressure, his ability to make clutch putts, to make the tough shots under pressure when all was on the line. I haven't seen anyone really do that. And so I think, you know, that aspect has a lot of parallels, I think, with investing. Uh, there can quite often be a lot of pressure, a lot of noise, whether it's crowds. And you can really... I think I think I could really learn a lot from him of you know some of the techniques he used whilst he was under those pressure points, how he was able to focus and visualize what to do, and then most importantly execute on that. I think that would be really useful to hear what he would have to say about that. Now, the other aspect I think, which would be great to rack his brains about, is adversity and coming back from adversity he had suffered a lot of injuries he still won while actually being quite injured and very hurt in his knee uh, and also in his personal life uh, he had some you know pretty clear personal dramas that occurred in his career but he's gotten over or seems to have gotten past a lot of those and is back and is still competitive now whether he can still compete at the level to win more majors I don't know I hope so but I think he's still able to mix it with the best and over such a long career and having been so dominant I think you know that's what I'd like to have as an investment career having a long career and you will face adversity and to I guess really just get tougher and stronger as you mm. go you're right that mental resilience really is something which applies I mean he had outstanding mental resilience but it is certainly something that applies to our day today thanks Nick no problem. Thank you. Now it's time to turn to Max Shramchenko, Portfolio Manager of Infrastructure and also Antipodes Climate Delta Fund. Again, Max, it's been a while since you've been on the podcast, so great to have you with us. Yeah. Hi, hi Alison. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So what's your stock or area of coverage that you believe will perform in the year ahead? Look, you can call me boring, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bring out the regulated utilities in in the US. Uh, I think I think the sector is pretty interesting. You know, it's been through a pretty brutal derating over the past couple of months. Uh, you have the sector trading at about twenty percent discount to S and P on the on the PE basis uh, for what I consider a pretty a pretty um, 
defensive and, and reliable earnings power and, uh, and a nice structural growth story. So, you know, in the past, you've maybe had, I don't know, over the last 20 years, you've had maybe three or four occasions when the sector was as cheap as it is now. Uh, you know, you, it would have been dot-com, uh, it would have been GFC or COVID. Um, clearly, you know, the high, the high interest rates and um, the fears of inflation feeding through the expense line for these companies has been a fear for the investors. And, you know, the way we look at it is if, if you're prepared to take a relatively longer, longer horizon here, you know, if you're looking out three years or something like that, um, the good thing about these utilities is their regulatory construct allows you to offset uh, virtually all of that, in, you know, inflation in your labor or be it a high interest cost. Um, so as long as you prepare to, uh, you know, have a longer term view, I think I think it's a very interesting time right now to be looking at these. And, you know, specifically for the stock that I wanted to bring up for today, you know, the American Electric Power, it's one of the larger, um, I guess, more liquid names in, in, in the space. And it uh, manages to trade at about one turn of a discount on the PE basis further to the already cheap sector. Uh, and the reason why it does that is primarily because of the uh, few um, regulatory mishaps that they've had over the past, uh, call it 12 to 18 months. Um, and the market is just uh, taking that and um, extrapolating that into perpetuity, which, uh, you know, whenever the market does that, I kind of feel very good about it. You know, low expectations are are a friend of uh, of good you know, future returns. So that's that's my stock. And I would add as well, uh, Max, AEP is is one that, um, you know, another another sort of multiple way of winning from it is it has a large percentage of its assets in high voltage transmission, which is going to be a big beneficiary of the energy transition, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you're if you're buying that earnings power today at, you know, 15 times earnings or whatever it is, 14 times, you can count on a pretty, pretty decent structural growth that is going to come exactly from 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 that part as, uh, you know, as America goes through not only a, a large replacement cycle that, you know, all this old infra- transmission infrastructure needs to go through, but plus, as you mentioned, uh, integrating all the renewables. Um, is going to take a lot of a lot of uh, growth in capex, and that is what drives the EPS of these companies. And what should investors avoid? Oh, look, uh, I've been sort of thinking about what's boiling under the surface in the in the real estate sector globally, and especially if you think about a couple of hotspots like uh, areas where people have borrowed a lot. Uh, for example, you know, the CMBS market in US or, or some of the Nordic markets in Europe, uh, for example, Sweden. Um, there are companies out there, well, actually whole sort of sector out there with, with, with leverage of anywhere from 10 to maybe low teens, uh, net debt to EBITDA levels, which is arguably pretty high if, you know, if your cost of debt is, is in, high uh, single digits and and there is a question there around the sustainability and if you for example look at cnbs market sort of over 2023 we've had roughly every second uh, cnbs loan that was hitting the final uh, maturity uh, has actually not been able to refinance so they've hit the defaults Um, that doesn't necessarily mean a forest sale and a collapse of the market don't get me wrong Uh, but uh, the way I call it is like the snake has sort of taken the rabbit out and the rabbit is making his way through the snake. Um, and it's a lengthy process. Uh, you know, these markets were uh, quite often designed to be uh, protected from short-term volatility. 
Um, but if we're having a discussion here about you know a permanent reset in cost of capital by 300, 400 basis points, and that is here to stay, then definitely there is there is a lingering risk out there, a tail risk, um, in in places like as I said, CMBS in the US or markets with you know a lot of leverage in Europe, which don't really have good uh, good maturity profile like Sweden. So that's something that I'm sort of worried about, but obviously given what's happened recently with, you know, the Fed and everyone's kind of really betting on on the interest rates falling, I think we might be able to get out of the get out of jail. Um, so it's all about you know how long the rates stay high and uh, versus versus us observing more and more of these defaults and you know people unable to refinance their loans so that's something that sort of really definitely keeps me up at night and uh keep thinking about our exposures in that you know through that either through the financials or or the direct property Mm. um and and finally the guest of honor at your christmas lunch oh yeah that's a that's a cool one Uh, i'm gonna be cool here i'm gonna say tom cruise um (laughs) you know i just i just always felt like look you if, if, if the guy, if there's something out there that the guy has for lunch that, you know, gets him on a bike and off a cliff at 61, <laughs> I, I have to know what it is. And, uh, and and obviously, by the way, I'm a big fan, you know, of, in, of his passion and, you know, of all the efforts that he puts into filmmaking, I think it's, I think it's quite extraordinary. So I think that's, that's my uh, Christmas lunch plan. Perfect. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Alison. Okay, we're going to change tack and move on to the domestic parts of the market with James Rodder, Portfolio Manager of Developed Markets and the Global Smids Strategy. James, just as with Graham, Nick and Max, your first question is, what is the one stock or area of your coverage that you believe will perform in the year ahead? My pitch would be Oracle. I think it's the last mispriced, underappreciated cloud migration story. Um, Four points. The first one would be that their Oracle Cloud infrastructure product has emerged as the fourth major public cloud alongside Amazon, uh, Microsoft, and Google. Uh, it's playing a meaningful role in the AI stack given the architectural advantages. And so a lot of the um, major LLMs are using Oracle. We think it grows uh, 50% plus for several years. On the SaaS transition side uh, of the cloud migration, they're ahead of all their back office peers, uh, complemented by a recent Cerner acquisition, um, which will have the effect of making them the default infrastructure provider alongside the application because that runs uh, hospitals and, and doctors and, and dental clinics, uh, a bit like, say, um, office users tend to use Azure because they run their business on Microsoft 365. Um, we think database migration to the cloud is also in the first innings. Uh, to give you an extent of the size of that opportunity, 15% of Amazon and Microsoft Azure revenue is databases. So as they migrate their databases to the cloud, there's an opportunity for a six, seven-fold uplift in revenue for those um, customers that migrate. Lastly, they've got a great capital allocation track record uh, in terms of share buybacks, you know, opportunistic share buybacks. Um, and well-timed acquisitions. It's 18 times this year's earnings, not next year's earnings. Uh, and I think it's gonna grow you know, 10 to 15% through the uh, course of the decade. Uh, if I had to throw one extra in on the small and mid cap side, it would be SCORE, which is a reinsurer. Um, 
the industry is going through a fantastically hard pricing cycle at the moment on the back of a lot of natural disasters over the last five years. Uh, they didn't reprice for those natural disasters. Now the industry is repricing for those natural disasters uh, and putting that into the, the model, we think it's around five times earnings. Um, putting the same assumptions into the model, most of the other, let's call it top five reinsurers around the world are trading closer to 10 times earnings. And what should investors avoid? There's a, there's a few things you can talk about. Um, the 10 years move from five to four and Maybe the upside is three and a half this year, but it can move back to five. But if I had to pick one thing, it would just be uh, large caps. So I'll give you some numbers on this. You know, the MISCI All Country World Index uh, is up uh, just under twenty percent. This is U.S. dollar returns for the year. Uh, the S and P five hundred is twenty five. The top fifty stocks are thirty seven percent. So nearly twenty percent outperformance. So. It's not just the mega cap tech that people are crowding into. There's very large companies, uh, these top 50, uh, that aren't mega cap tech. uh, And uh, be it index concentration or other factors, everyone's crowding into these names. Uh, If I just complement that, the Russell 2000 sort of small caps in the US is only up 12% compared to the top 50 up 37%. Uh, and Europe's been up 18%, China down 14% for the year. So you know, it's very unusual to see two years in a row of exceptional returns from the same part of the market. Uh, so I'd be staying away from large companies uh, broadly. I think, and I, I think our funds certainly have a, a, an overweight away from that mega and large cap space towards um, you know, more exciting let's call it mid-cap opportunities, which in the global space might mean a company that's still $30 billion or $50 billion, mm. uh, very, large bus- very large businesses. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just those extremely large ones. Uh, there's been a lot of crowding. I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it, because we all, I think everybody, we're all aware of that mega-cap tech's done really well, but it's, it's an interesting point you make that big caps broadly have done really well, not just um, the seven stocks that, that we, we often talk about. Now, finally, who has a seat at your Christmas lunch? Uh, my Christmas lunch, uh, Michael Jordan. Um, I'm a, a child that grew up in the 90s in the basketball era played a lot of basketball <laughs> uh, I think I have around 60 Michael Jordan guys I had a, a close friend who loved David Robinson so I was able to sw- swap out Michael Jordan for a David Robinson which is a which is a, a great deal uh, and I just think look he's you know I, I love tennis and there's the big three there but it's really hard to identify who's the greatest of all time and I think basketball's you know, stands alone maybe with Bradman and cricket as one of those sports where you can identify very Mm. clearly the greatest of all time and there's not much debate. So, uh, Michael Jordan. Perfect answer. Thank you, James. Thanks, Alison. Okay, last but not least, it's time for John Stadliotis, our Emerging Markets Portfolio Manager. John, let's hear one stock or area of your coverage that you think will perform well next year. Yes, yeah, so, so in the year ahead, as we move into rate cut cycle and it's increasingly looking like the world is going to avoid a ca- catastrophic hard landing, I think it'll be generally positive for EM. And then within that, Brazil is somewhere where rates are already falling. Just this morning, um, while the market was really excited about the dovish tone in Powell's FOMC um, post-meeting discussion, 
Brazil's central bank was actually cutting rates by 50 basis points for the fourth time in as many months, and it's guiding to more into next year. Um, then you see the economy is actually showing signs of recovery. We've seen strong GDP growth, consumption um, recovering slowly as well. So a stock that we think will do well in this scenario is Sendas Distributora, which is the leading cash and carry grocery retailer under the brand Asai. Um, so cash and carry is Brazil's take on discount grocery retailing, and it's the category that's growing fastest and is now about 20% of total grocery sales. So this stock faced a number of headwinds over the last couple of years. It's, it's basically seen cost wage inflation being quite high, but at the same time, food inflation went negative um, after the high base of 2022 when food supply was hit by droughts. Um, and just before this difficult period, they made an acquisition of um, supermarkets off their parents. Uh, and that was done with debt whilst interest rates went from 2% to 13.75% over the next year. So you can see that over that period, earnings came under pressure and so did the valuation. Things are really turning now. So cost inflation in Brazil um, is declining. Brazil CPI at the last print was below Australia at 4.8%. Food inflation is improving. Um, and the supermarkets they bought, they've been converted to cash and carry centers now. And sales per store have increased by three times, uh, which is pretty, pretty impressive. With interest rates coming down, that's going to be another big tailwind. So we see EBIT growth of about 20%. But then as interest rates come down, interest expense will then declining, will drive EPS growth of even faster. The stock trading on 14 times 2024 PE provides a material margin of safety. So we see upside from earnings growth, but also from a re-rating, which as we think this stock should trade at a higher multiple. It really sounds like Sendes is at a turning point, doesn't it? And actually for any investors interested in hearing more about Brazil's cyclical and structural opportunities, uh, you and I had a great chat last month, so so please tune into that. Now, John, sticking to today's episode, uh, what should investors avoid? So within India, we're avoiding the consumer segment. Um, particularly the staples companies. And, and there's three reasons which I'll take you through. Firstly, India as a market is trading at uh, relative peak valuations versus all the other emerging markets. Uh, it is one of the best structural growth opportunities within EM and is attracted a lot of um, investor flows as a result. But India is looking expensive if you look at absolute PEs or even relative to bond yields in the country. A more accommodative environment in for emerging markets will see capitals flow away from India generally. Then looking within the consumer space, which is what I'm highlighting, consumer staples in particular, these companies have re-rated from about 20 times PE in 2010 to 40 times PE average today. That's 44-0. Um, this has been driven by factors that you know are re- reversing. Um, particularly particularly in, in the recent history. One of them particularly is growth scarcity in India uh, through 2010 and 20. And, and that was because there was a weak CapEx cycle in, industrial, in, in the industrial landscape in India. Um, and that meant basically people were willing to pay a large premium for consumer staples that had not such a high growth, but a very stable um, growth going forward. Now, Looking forward, we're actually seeing the start of a capex cycle in India. The Modi government is putting quite a bit of emphasis on public capex growth um, at the moment, and we're starting to see initial signs of private capex coming back into the market. This should drive 
a stronger cycle, especially in the industrial side, which will then leave these consumer staple stocks that although are more stable, are growing at a much lower rate and look to, to look relatively expensive. So we've already started to, to see stocks like uh, L&T, which is you know, the, the leading EPC company in, in India, starting to re-rate higher. And, and some of these staples are starting to uh, underperform. But we think over the next year, this category in particular should underperform. Now, not, I know you sort of said what areas to avoid, but I do want to mention, you know, we've got an underweight to India, but we find similar structural exposures in Mexico, particularly in that sort of staple space. And FEMSA is one of our largest positions within emerging markets, uh, which, which we see having similar sort of structural growth drivers, but trading at a much lower valuation. I really like how you turned a stock to avoid into a second stock to own. So that was nicely played, John. Um, and finally, John, who is your guest at your Christmas lunch? I really hate these questions because there's so many people that I'd love to have lunch <laughs> with. Um, but, you know, it's Christmas lunch, so I'm going to go someone that's not too serious. Uh, I'm going to go for <laughs> Ange Postacoglu, the head coach at Tottenham. Now, I'm not, I'm not a soccer or, you know, Premier League fan. Football. But my, football, I should say, fan. But my six-year-old son has become football obsessed, which that now means that I've got to start watching a lot more football. And, you know, <laughs> seeing an Australian take on the world and, you know, going to, going to the Premier League, one of the, the, the greatest leagues in the world, and start to really, you know, sh- show great results. He's shown great resilience over the long term. And what I really like reading about the stories is, how he's able to bring the passion out from the team. So I reckon he'd be a great guest to have at Christmas lunch. He'd be fabulous. And if you're listening, you've got an invite. Thanks, John. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We've covered a lot of ground ranging from mispriced beneficiaries of AI, cloud migration, and the energy transition to a beneficiary of aging demographics and retail opportunities in Latin America. From the Antipodes team, we wish you all a safe and happy holiday period. And keep up to date with us in the new year at antipodes.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter. The content in this podcast is general information only. It is not advice of any kind and doesn't take into account your personal financial situation, objectives or needs. You should seek professional advice before making any financial decisions. Stock commentary is illustrative only and not a recommendation to buy, hold or sell any security.